Well, this morning we're going to do something just a little bit different. We're going to have uh, all three of the elders here at Fellowship of Grace uh, share with you some things as we talk about uh, this series that we've been in the last couple of weeks. Um, the series is Truth, Answering Questions That People Ask. And we're going to uh, uh, talk about this this morning, answer some more questions for you, uh, kind of in a roundtable discussion, and then um, uh, we'll have a little surprise for you at the end of uh, the message this morning. But we're going to kind of do the message together. I want to remind you of the two verses that we have been looking at every single week uh, to just help us uh, to know the reason why we are answering these questions. The first one is, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That's from Colossians chapter 4, as we've just studied through the entire book of Colossians. And then, of course, uh, in 1 Peter 3.15, the Bible says this, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason uh, for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. And every time we look at these verses, I always want to remind us of the balance that takes place. Uh, we should all be able to answer the questions about why we have faith in Christ. We should be able to have a discussion with people and really to, def in a sense, defend our reason to believe and our reason to have faith. But at the same time, that always has to be balanced with love and mercy and gentleness. If people are offended by the truth of the message, that's between them and God. If they are offended by our delivery, that's our fault. And so we need to be careful that even as we share the truth with others and answer their questions, it's important for us to do that in love and mercy and grace. And so I want to recap just the last two weeks. I'm not going to answer all the questions again. Don't panic. Uh, but I do want to just let you know that these uh, sermons are, uh, uh, the, the uh, PowerPoint presentations are on the city, which is our church's own social network. And then the sermons themselves, uh, the audio, is on our website at fogkc.com, so you can look at them there. But the questions that we answered the first week, two weeks ago, were these. What makes Christianity different than other world religions? How can anyone believe in the resurrection? And why is Christianity exclusive? We really answered all three of those questions, and probably a myriad of other questions, in one big answer. And that was looking at the proof uh, for the resurrection. So you can go back and listen uh, to that sermon if you like. And then last week we answered these three questions. Isn't all truth relative? How can we trust that the Bible is true? And why do bad things happen uh, to good people? And so three big questions uh, that uh, people have asked and uh, we attempted to answer last week. I hope that was very beneficial. I got a lot of conversations this week uh, with many of you, uh, especially about uh, the Bible and what we saw about the Bible last week. So I'm glad that that was hopefully beneficial to you. So the first question that we're going to ask today or that you've asked today, we're gonna to attempt to answer is this one. How did God come into existence? I don't know. Okay, maybe there's a little more to it than that. Maybe a little more. You know, really, this is a really tough question, folks. I mean, this is like asking, why is water wet? I, it's hard to really say. But let me just share with you this. In Genesis 1-1, the Bible starts this way. And we always want to rush. We want to rush to get to the creation story. But here's how it really starts. In the beginning, God. Now, part of our problem as human beings is we can't even conceptualize outside of time and space. God's outside of time and space. He created time and space. And so he existed before that. He's always existed. Nobody created him. He has always existed because there was no before, before he created time. So there was no before and after. 
So how all that works out and, and, and the mathematical formula that I could show you for how it works, I have no idea, okay? But here's kind of the big answer of this. He has always been, and we cannot understand outside time and space. So there are a few questions, folks, that we just simply don't have the answers to. But I want to I sh- share with you why, in a sense. Listen, the Bible is not the full mind of God. It is just not. It doesn't answer every question in the universe under the sun. It does answer enough questions that we can know who God is. We can know how to have a relationship with him. We can know how to get connected with him. We can know how to serve him and what he wants from us. We can know all those things by the Bible, but it's not the full mind of God. And so the question of how did God come into existence or where did God come from, those questions simply cannot be answered because we, uh, in fact, we probably don't even have the brain cells and the capacity to even understand it if we could find the answer somewhere. Uh, so while that might be a disappointing answer, that's really the best one I can come up with. Uh, either one of you guys want to answer that? Um, go ahead, John. What? I think they're going to try. Awesome. They're going to try. No, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think what we have to understand is there's a lot of conversation about proving God's existence and, and in doing that, trying to understand who created him. Well, the truth is, if he's God, if he's all-powerful, if he reigns and he's sovereign that no one created him because otherwise he wouldn't be all-powerful. I think that's an important truth to remember. Yeah, and I would just, uh, if you want to dig deeper into that, it's, it's kind of the big fancy word for this discussion is kind of the cosmological argument, like what was the first great cause? And um, you can, if you want to read the 72-page paper on it that we talked about in two minutes up here, um, a great art, or website you can go to is, is carm.org. Uh, Christian Apologetics Research Ministry. A lot of great resources on there. A lot, a lot of stuff that you know. You have to be careful sometimes when, when you search for, when you just search for Wikipedia, Google, and all that sort of stuff. You never know where the information is coming from. But there's a lot of good biblical scholars and and guys with scientific brains that, while they aren't going to say anything necessarily different than we are, they'll dive a little bit more into the weeds that, you know, some of your friends might care about. So, so just so you know, it took them 72 pages to give you that answer. We did it in one statement. I just thought I'd point that out. Uh, Here's a great question that was asked. What is the process for sharing the gospel? Now, we want to actually go through the process of doing that. There are many different ways to share the gospel. And I always think of it this way. The gospel is like a Christmas present. You can wrap it in many different uh, types of wrapping paper, but it's always the same gift. The gospel never changes. The gospel isn't uh, different if it's presented in a different way, but there are different ways to kind of present that. So we're going to take a few minutes and um, take turns presenting the gospel in a different way, and Pastor John's going to go first. And thank you, Pastor Michael. I just want to echo kind of what Pastor Michael said. I forgot to say this in the first service, but you know, the question was, what is the process? Well, there's not a process. There are many different ways. And like Pastor Michael said, as long as we keep true to what the gospel message is, the way that we present it is going to vary from, you know, depending who we're talking to and the context in which we're talking. Now, what I'm going to talk about today, the, the method I'm going to present, it was commonly called the three circles approach. And it's a pretty versatile approach. You can use it with or without scripture. You can draw out the diagram that I'm going to show here in a moment, or you can just explain it. Now, instead of describing it to you, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk it through with you as if we were just sitting across the table over a cup of coffee, and I'm sharing my faith, and I'm sharing the gospel with you. So we know that the world that we live in is is pretty crazy and pretty messed up. Um, the, the, The word we would probably use is broken. I mean, it's just, it's kind of insane. But the truth is, that was not God's design. That was not God's plan. 
When God created the universe, he made man to have a personal, perfect, loving relationship with him. The problem is, and continues to be, is from Adam all the way to us today, we've kind of decided to do our own thing. We've decided to disobey God, not do the things he told us to do, do some of the things that, that he didn't tell us, he told us not to do. And we call that sin. And what happened was when we sinned, that broke the relationship between us and God that he had designed. And that's how all the insanity, all the craziness we see in our world today came in and continues to excuse me, fester. But God wasn't done with that. That wasn't, that wasn't the end of the story or isn't the end of the story because God had a plan. And that plan was through Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ came down out of heaven to specifically take on our sin and take on the punishment for all our sin. Everything we've ever done, everything we ever will do. And we, we, we use the cross because that's how he was killed. He was crucified. That was the form of death that the Romans used on him. And when he did that, he died, and three days later, he rose. He rose from death, proving that he was stronger and more powerful than both sin and death. Sin and death did not have a grip on him. They couldn't hold him. He was free from that. And what happens is, is when we place our faith in what Jesus Christ accomplished through his death taking on our sin and the punishment for our sin and his resurrection breaking the bond of sin, then we can be forgiven. We can go back to the right relationship that God originally designed. Now, we do have, each one of us, a decision we have to make. We can either decide to stay where we are, doing what we're doing, and knowing the results that those have been, that, that we haven't broken from this, this craziness, or we can make a decision to turn back to Jesus. When we do that, when we receive him in our heart as Lord and Savior, then we can grow back into that perfect relationship with God. The amazing thing is, not only do we grow our love for God, we grow our love for other people, which then leads us to go back out and share this message with others. And folks, that's the gospel message. It's really just that simple. Great. Thank you. Pastor Nick? All right. And the way I'm going to kind of explain to you is, is a pretty common way. Some of you probably have heard of it. Um, it's one of the most simple ways to share the gospel. It's not as uh, visual as some of the other ways where you can kind of draw diagrams and stuff, but it's called the Roman road to salvation. And basically what this is is just walking through some verses in the book of Romans um, that really kind of lay out a structured, um, basically, conversation pieces uh, for you to talk through the gospel with somebody. And I know for some of us that, that are more introverted or that really don't like, you know, confrontation or talking, to, you know, sharing things in a presentation kind of way with somebody, um, I, I often want to just encourage you to think of it not as necessarily you sitting with somebody and going through a 30-minute gospel presentation with them. Really, it's a gospel conversation, a gospel conversation. And I know up here we're kind of sharing the information with you, but if we were sitting across the table with somebody, you know, we, we would stop throughout this presentation and, and have a conversation about it. Ask, you know, allow the person to ask questions and that sort of thing. So I'm just going to walk quickly through these four verses that um, can hopefully help you kind of pinpoint the, at least the, the main points of the gospel because there is, there's a lot you can talk about, but these are the four, four really important things that people need to understand in order to come to saving faith in Jesus. The first one is this, uh, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short 
of the glory of God. So this is pretty simple. Uh, you, you basically talk about sin and how all of us are sinners, and that sin separates us from God. We, we fall short of the glory of God um, in his original plan, like uh, Pastor John talked about in, in the three circles. So our sin separates us from God, but it not only separates us, it, it has other consequences too. In Romans 6.23, talks about this. It's, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift, free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, as I said, not only do we, are we separated from God because of our sin, but this verse tells us that what we earn because of our sin is ultimately death. Ultimately death. And thankfully... The verse continues after that first part. Um, we get a glimpse of what Christ has done, um, but it's good to help somebody understand that they're not okay, you know, that they, they need a Savior. Because if, if they don't recognize their need for the Savior, then you can talk to them about the gospel, but it's, it's just not going not gonna to get through to them. Um, and then Romans 5.8 really highlights the, the turnaround or, or what God has really provided for us in Jesus. It says this, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that free gift that God has given us is, is from Jesus's death on the cross for our sins. And, and this verse just really highlights that, that God loves us, um, that he, he came to us in our sin, um, that, that you can't fix yourself and you don't have to you know, not cuss for six weeks before you can go to church and God will accept you or anything. You can't clean up your life before you can go to God. He, he's come to us that while we were still sinners, Christ came to us. And then Romans 10.9 is another great verse to really kind of explain the how of, of so how, how am I saved? Well, Romans 10.9 says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, this Basically, um, you know, when we, we talk a lot about pray, praying the prayer of salvation, and we talk about, you know, there's no specific words that somebody has to pray. It's really a, a personal decision, a, a commitment that, that you, you believe in, in what Jesus did on the cross and accept that free gift. That, that free gift that Romans 6.23 talks about, it, Jesus is our God it has kind of set it there for us, and we, we have to take it. And we have to take that, that gift. And that's what, when we believe and we confess, um, that, that's what we are doing. And so th those are just, there's a lot of other verses in Romans that you can go. Um, but if you want to memorize four verses and just kind of have those in your pocket that you can have a conversation with somebody just, just to help guide you. Because I know for those of us who have been in church a long time, the gospel kind of starts to seem like, wow, it, like, that is a lot, it encompasses a lot. Um, how, how am I going to talk for three hours to, with somebody about it? But this really gets to kind of the main main simple points to walk somebody through these verses. Great. Thank you, Pastor Derek. Sorry. Got long arms. Uh, the way that I, I generally do it, I'm a very visual guy, and so I like to share things visually. And so um, this is usually the way that I share it. In fact, some of you in this room will go, oh, you did that with me. Uh, but here's kind of, I, I do the bridge most of the time. And the bridge basically goes through the same kind of steps, starting out with God is holy. 1 Samuel 2, 2 says, there is none holy like the Lord, uh, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. And so I'll draw a little box over here and say that God is holy. God is perfect. He is absolutely without any blemish. He is absolutely perfect as perfect can ever be. And then we talk about how mankind is sinful, as these two gentlemen have already shared. Uh, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I draw a little box over here and say that man over here is sinful. So you've got God over here who is perfect and holy, and man over here 
who is sinful. Then I talk about how sin separates us from God. For the wages of sin is death. And that is a spiritual death. It's not a physical death it's talking about. And I draw the word sin right there between it and say, this is like, you know, this is a, a huge chasm between us and God. This, this huge distance has been created because God is completely perfect and we are completely sinners. And so this isn't like missing the mark by just a smidgen. No, these are far apart. And there's this big gap that exists. Then I talk about how uh, man cannot bridge the gap. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. I share the fact that historically man has tried to bridge this gap. Man has tried to do things uh, all throughout history to say, How can I be better? How can I bridge this gap to God? Uh, one of the things that I ask people is if I had three glasses of pure water here before me and I put five drops of poison in this one and 50 drops of poison in this one and 100 drops of poison in this one, which one of the three do you want to drink? Uh-huh, the answer is none of them because they're all poison. And so the point is we have a tendency as human beings sometimes to say, well, I'm, I'm better than I used to be. You know, I, I used to be a really big jerk, just a tiny jerk. So I'm, I'm really a lot better. I'm getting really closer to God. Or, uh, you know, I've, I'm, I live longer. I'm, I'm doing more good things. Or, you know, my neighbors are all really big jerks. I'm just kind of a little jerk. So I'm a much better than everybody else around me. We have a tendency to do that and compare in our humanness. But the reality is, and I draw this out, all of those attempts to bridge this gap are total and complete failures. By the way, if you bridge a gap and you still got 50 feet at the end, it doesn't matter how, how good that first part of the bridge has been. So I, I don't know if you can read them there, but being religious, giving money to the poor, or doing good, all those things that we think about uh, as somehow making us more godlike, um, don't do anything to bridge this gap. Now, once we know Christ, if you want to do those things out of obedience, it's a totally different ballgame. But in, in, in specifically the area of, of somehow reaching God, those are all dismal failures. Then I talk about how Jesus bridged the gap for us. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now this verse has more hymns than the Broadman hymnal. Uh, there's no old Baptist here? Come on. Uh, hymn. And so I, I reread this verse to, to, uh, to help people understand who all the hymns are if they don't understand it. So for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin for us, uh, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. And so I draw on this uh, picture the fact that Jesus did perfectly bridge uh, this gap. He is the only gap. He is the only way to bridge that gap. There's nothing we can do. Only Jesus has done it for us. And then finally, by faith in Jesus, we can have life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, John 3, 16. And so I share with them that, and usually I draw a picture around the cross and put an arrow towards us and draw a picture of our sinfulness and an arrow to the cross. I just didn't know how to do that on PowerPoint. Uh, but, uh, and I say, hey, we, it's kind of, kind of the great exchange. It, it's the great exchange. It's, it's Jesus taking on our sinfulness and it's us getting credit for his perfect life. And so that's how I share the gospel with folks. And um, I, there, are, there are many other ways. These are just three examples. Uh, but they're three examples that, that we use and we would encourage you to learn and use. Uh, now, I want to tell you one other thing is I want you to circle on your calendar November the 12th. I want all of you to commit to being here. If you have something already scheduled for November 12th, cancel it. 
and, and be here. And I want to encourage you to bring your lost friends and neighbors. That Sunday, we are going to do something uh, called Good News Sunday. And what we're going to do is we're going to do a little training session to teach all of you how to share the gospel. Then we're going to ask you to turn your chairs and be in a group of two or three people. And one of you practice sharing that with the others in your group. And then we're going to have a different person turn and share with other people in that group. So if you're lost friends, if the people that you know that are still far from God come to that service, they're going to hear the gospel three times and the possibility of them actually teaching it, sharing it, explaining it, would be very beneficial to their own understanding of the gospel. Uh, the churches in the Philippines that we partner with, they do this annually, and it is the day that they have had hundreds of people come to know Christ as their Savior on that day. So we're going to try it this year. If it's a dismal flop, we'll try it again next year. And then if it's a dismal flop, we'll, you know, we'll stop doing it at some point. But, but we just need to continue to find ways, creative ways, to reach out and share the gospel with the people around us. Uh, okay, enough of that. So make sure you get November 12th on your calendar. Pastor John? Let's go to the next Thank you, sir. So the next question. question. Next question was, uh, if what you're telling me about the gospel is true, then my mom isn't in heaven, and why would I want to go there? Now, I want to start and preface my answer by, by just explaining. If you, you don't know my story, uh, I understand this one very well. I understand this personally because my mom died before I received Christ in my heart as my as Savior. And, and to my knowledge, she never professed Christ is her Savior. So to be honest, I don't know where my mother's eternity is. Now, I, I don't tell you that um, just as a part of the story. I tell you that because this is a hard question, but we have to look at it objectively and understand what the Bible and what God is telling us. And I think one of the first things we really got to look at, there's three truths in here that we want to take a look at. And the first is that heaven and hell exist. And in Matthew 25, Jesus is talking about when he comes back, his second coming, and he's going to judge everyone. And he's going to separate those who place their faith in him and those who have rejected him. And in verse 46, what Jesus says is, those who have rejected me, and these will go into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And, and what this verse is showing us is that there's a heaven and there's a hell. Period. There, there is no more. So these other concepts or thoughts that people will try to, to offer out there, like reincarnation or purgatory or um, universalism, basically everybody eventually goes to heaven no matter what they did, or um, there, there's a thought out there that you basically cease to exist in any form and there's no joy, there's no punishment, there's nothing. All those are are deceptions that Satan uses to try and draw us away from God. So when we're faced with the understanding that there's a heaven and there's a hell, when we say, I don't think I want to go to heaven, what we're really saying is, I think I want to go to hell. And that's an amazing statement if you really think about it. Now, the next thing I'm going to say is a hard truth, but it is a truth and it has to be said. If we have someone that we care about, we have a loved one, and we think they might be in hell, us deciding to go and join them there isn't going to help them at all. It's not going to improve their situation at all. All it's going to do is, is take us and separate us from God as well. But I think the more important truth in answering this question is looking in what really heaven is. And if you think about the definitions that God gives us in the Bible for heaven, 
the best way to describe it is, it's the answers to our prayers. The book of Revelation in chapter 7, 21, 22, provides some very good descriptions of what heaven will be like. And I've got a short passage here I'd like to share with you out of chapter 21. And in here, John is describing in his revelation what he saw. And he said, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be them, be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. When we think about that and visualize what that's going to be like, think about the way we pray every day. God, please take this pain away from me or from my family member or my friend. Heal this person. Reconcile this relationship that I have that's broken. Take this anxiety that I have in my life and take it away from me. Lift these burdens from me. This is exactly what, what heaven is being described at, is the answer to our prayers. And when we understand heaven in that way, it really changes the question from why do I want to go to heaven to why, to why wouldn't I want to go to heaven? And when we understand that, I think it leads us to one more important truth. And you're going to hear this, I think, several times in our answers today. Is when we understand what heaven is, it really motivates and drives us to share the gospel with others. If we understand how great heaven is, if we understand how perfect it is and, and, and how it's the answer to our prayers, what it really needs to do is, is drive us to understand that we need to share that with others who don't know it. I shared, you know, briefly the story of my mother. I don't know if anyone ever shared the gospel with her. I will tell you, I was 40 years old before anyone shared the gospel with me. I heard about God. I heard about church from when I was a small kid. First grade, I knew about church. But no one ever shared the gospel message with me. And I think Paul really highlights this very well in Romans 10, where he says, how will they then call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? When we understand what heaven is, not only does it drive us to want to be there, it drives us to want to take other folks with us. Good. Thank you, Pastor John. Pastor Derek, you're up. All right. Next question is this. So what about the innocent people who have never had a chance to hear the gospel? Can they still be saved? Now, the, the simple answer to this question, um, and I appreciate uh, David Platt, who's the president of IMB, kind of answers this question this way with a simple yes. They, they can obviously still be saved, but, but the problem with this question is that there are no innocent people. And that, that's kind of the place I want to start at. There are no innocent people. If they truly are innocent, then they, then they could go to heaven. But, but none of us are innocent. And I want to read uh, some verses in Romans that really flesh this out. And, then, and in some ways, while John read those verses about heaven, I was thinking of those in contrast to these verses. It's almost the opposite. I mean, the, these are very depressing verses, and, and as opposed to the verses from Revelation that describe heaven. It was kind of exciting. Um, so I'll read these. Romans 1, 18 and 19 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. And then continuing on in verse 20, it says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made, so they are without excuse. 
And then in verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So here Paul is describing kind of a, just a description of humanity, kind of the, the again, the, the doomed state that we find ourselves in. Um, and this question about can an innocent person still go to heaven without hearing of um, kind of that ammo, you know, again, to kind of not believe in God because how could, a, how could a fair and loving God send somebody to hell that's never heard about him? And, and what these verses really tell us is that, that all men know about God. Now, now we may not, we, we know, you know, his, his invisible attributes. We can see general, general revelation, which is kind of what the, God's creation, things that we can experience like that on a general way. Humanity knows that there is a God, even if even if somebody you know you know is claims to be an atheist, doesn't believe in God, that sort of thing. Um, humanity knows that there there is a God, and so that that's really the the kind of first first thing to uh, first lens to put on as you as you answer this question. So that so none of us are innocent. Okay. Secondly, is this that salvation comes through Christ and Christ alone. We see this all throughout Scripture in many different verses. I'll just read a couple to you now. But this is pretty clear in Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then Acts 4, 12 echoes that same principle. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Obviously talking about the name of Jesus. So, we have, we have this, these two truths that we know about. So, there's no innocent people. The salvation only comes through, through Christ. So, so, what does that lead us to as far as how to answer that question? What, what about the, that tribe in Africa where they don't have the Bible and they don't have technology and all these sorts of things? They've never heard about, about Jesus and the good news of Jesus. Um, well, I, I think... A good way for us to, to think about that is, is in this answer. Um, knowing that no one is innocent and that through Christ is the only way to salvation, we must share the gospel with urgency to everyone. We, the bottom line is we have, to get, we have to get the gospel to people. And, you know, there, there's a lot of different ways that we can participate in that. We, we talk about um, missions and going to different parts of the world. I know we've got several people from our church going to the Philippines, and we, we give a lot of money and funds to the International Mission Board that that's, has missionaries in all over the world going to unreached people groups that have not heard the gospel because we believe, because of what the Bible says, that if people don't hear the gospel and don't have a chance to respond, that, that they are doomed to go to hell, because I, I think sometimes in our minds, and I know I, I, even as a young Christian, I kind of thought this way, so, so if there's somebody in Africa, you know, we'll just use Africa, you know, because um, I have a little African child in my family, and it's on my mind, um, so we'll use that, it's a remote part, and they, they've never heard about Jesus, they don't have any Bibles or anything, but they, you know, have experienced a solar eclipse, and, and thought like, wow, there must be wow, that's really cool, and they just, that just transformed their life in a, in a way where they, they think about the sun, and they start to worship the sun god. You know, in my mind, I'm kind of like, well, maybe God will go easy on them because they, don't, they haven't heard about Jesus, and maybe, maybe because they worship the sun, that, you know, God created the sun, but 
well, that's really idolatry because they're worshiping the sun. So that's not, but, but we kind of we want to make ourselves feel better in, in our own sense of how God should be fair. Um, and, and we really kind of come down to, we, we think we're condemned because we reject the gospel, but we're not condemned because we reject the gospel. We're right. condemned as sinners to hell because we haven't honored our creator. And, and that's, that's a little bit, it's, it's different. It's very different because when you think about this whole situation, let's say, let's say my neighbors that I live next to have, have never had somebody explain the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, similar how the three ways that we shared it, explain that to them. If, if God kind of goes easy on, on people that haven't heard the gospel, the worst thing, the, the most unloving thing I could do to them is share the gospel with them, right? Because then all of a sudden they've heard about Jesus, they're held accountable. And, and obviously that doesn't go with what the Bible says. It undermines the whole mission of, of the Great Commission about making disciples of all nations, the, the evangelism that, that we're called to and to share our faith. Um, so, so I think there's, there's just some problems when you, when you want to place your sense of fairness on God and say, well, you know, you know I'm sh- sure God will just go easy on them. Well, no, I think it really, the situation is that we're, we're born sinners and we're doomed because we have not honored our creator and whether we think that's fair or not, that, that's how it is. And so we have got to ur- urgently share the gospel, pray for others, pray that God, you know, God can, it, maybe, maybe somebody doesn't go to that tribe in Africa. Maybe God reveals himself in a dream to one of their leaders and, and reveals the gospel that way. God can do whatever, whatever God can do, and, and that's anything. So, so that, that's one way to think. If you guys want to add anything to it or... Well, I think the only thing that I would add uh, from that is uh, when I do get in conversation with people and they ask this question, I say, well, we can have this uh, theological discussion about people on the other side of the planet who've never heard, but that's not you. You just ask the question so you know the gospel. In fact, I just probably, usually it comes up in the conversation after I just shared it with them. So I basically said, a great question, it's a moot point because you've heard the gospel. So how it applies to you is not at all. I don't know if that's helpful or not. <laughs> yeah, and I would almost take it a step further, just real quick before we go to the last question here, I would take it a step farther is, you know, we, we, we've only got so much time. Um, you know, we can do one of two things. We can sit and debate whether or not it's, it's, it's right or wrong that someone who doesn't hear the gospel is condemned, or we can go out and share the gospel. I mean, you know, choose how you use your time wisely, I think would be the, the response. Um, last question we want to hit on today, and this one came out, is that if God loves me, why did he let me suffer? Um, and, and what this does, this really gets to what's called the problem of evil in the world. And it, the problem of evil is a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an argument used mostly by atheists, and it's a, it's a stick that they like to swing at God and Christianity pretty wildly. And what it says is, if God is all-powerful, and God is all-knowing, and God is all-loving, but evil exists in the world, well, then God must either not be able to do anything about it, meaning he's not all-powerful or all-knowing, or he doesn't care enough to do anything about it, meaning he's all, not all-loving. Now, that, that may sound kind of cool, but the truth is there's a ton of problems with that argument. I really don't have time to go through them all right now. The, the, the one I'm going to key on is the fact that it, it makes an assumption that God, number one, doesn't know about it, and two, hasn't done anything about it. Now, both of those are invalid assumptions. I'm going to go through three truths here that I think will refute that argument pretty well. The first one is, we just have to be honest, that suffering does exist in the world. Now, as, as the three of us have all spoken, the, the, the way suffering and sin and evil came into the world was through, through our decision 
to disobey God and, and, and basically to break with him. Um, but that alone does not mean that God doesn't know or he doesn't care. If we're looking at John 16, after Jesus has been crucified and rose again, he's talking to his disciples and he says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And in just these three short sentences, what Jesus is explaining is that, yeah, I understand. There, there is problems in the world because of your sinfulness. However, I've already done something about it. Number one, I went to the cross and I took on all that sin. Number two, I rose to defeat that sin. And number three, I've given you all these understandings of who I am and what the future looks like so that you can take peace in that regardless of what comes your way until I come back. I think the second truth that's important to understand is that suffering was never part of God's plan. As, as again, all three of us have spoken today, when God created the universe, he created man to have a perfect loving relationship with him. And even though we've made decisions that, that have separated us from him, God still wants us back. And, and I think a, a good biblical reference on this is Jeremiah 29, where in verse 11, God says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. Evil isn't in the world because God created it, God introduced it, God uses it because he's mean. Evil's in the world because we brought it in. Now, does God allow it sometimes? Yes. Why? Same answer to the first question Pastor Michael answered. Don't know. Don't know exactly. But the truth is, is and the third truth I think can be helpful in understanding this is, even though we do have suffering, God can and does use suffering for good. Talk about us individually in our relationships. If we've gone through, you know, a difficult time, God can use that to give us more faith in him, to put our trust in him, to see how he can take us from a difficult situation through to something else that we might not have even dreamed of on our own of what it would look like when we came out on the other end. Uh, we could see a couple of different biblical references. Obviously, the book of Job is a great one. We can look at the story of Joseph uh, who, uh, in Genesis, whose brothers saved an entire nation from famine. But I think when we consider you know, suffering, I think our greatest example, again, it goes back to Jesus. And I'm going to use Matthew 27 in verse 46, where Matthew is describing at the crucifixion, Matthew says, in about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, which is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If we read the account of, of Jesus' last night and day, we know that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed and asked God, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will. Jesus suffered greatly so that God could take that and turn that into the greatest gift there ever was, which is our forgiveness. So even though we may suffer from time to time, we can't look at that as God doesn't care or there's no good out of it. We, we look at that as it's a result of, of, of the way the world is, but we focus on Jesus, we focus on his message, and we see what God does through that. Great. Thank you, Pastor John. I think... And just to add to that, it's really important when you think about uh, suffering and all those kind of things, difficulties in life, it's always important to just remember that God is not interested in making our life easy or making us happy. He is interested in molding us and transforming us into the image of his son. 
and he will use whatever means necessary uh, to do that because he wants us to become like Jesus. Uh, he doesn't, he's not, he didn't uh, save us just to make our lives happy. Uh, that's not uh, critical to him and it shouldn't be critical to us. So I hope answering these questions has helped you a little bit. Uh, here's the big exciting news. There's a bonus week. There's a bonus round next week. Uh, you've asked, so, yeah, one, one, really excited about that. Uh, so there are um, uh, some questions that we didn't get to. It's not because we didn't want to answer them or didn't know the answers to them. It's because we just didn't have time, as you can see by the clock. So we're going to answer those questions next week. Some of you have even said that answering the questions has caused you to have more questions. Send us those this week. We will do our very best to answer those all next week and wrap this up. You heard a whole bunch of references to the book of Romans. And uh, in two weeks, we're going to start uh, a verse-by-verse -verse study of the book of Romans. If you've never done this, folks, this will change your life. It's going to be really exciting. Uh, Pastor John, would you want to close out this part of our service, please? Absolutely. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to come here and to study your word, to, to ask hard questions, things that, that are on our minds that, that we... You know, we wrestle with as we grow to understand you better and we grow in our relationship with you. And Lord, we just ask that you would continue to, to, to guide us to seek out your will, to seek out your word, that we would use the things that we understand to reach out to others and share the great name of Jesus and the saving name of Jesus with others. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.